0: You're listening to a sermon podcast from Redemption Hill Church, recorded at one of our worship services. Morning Church, my name is Minju, and today I'll be reading from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, to chapter 2, verse 6. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow into... Behold, I am laid in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. These are the true words of the living God.
1: Morning, everybody. I should say good morning, rather. It is a good morning, isn't it? Sun was shining. I uh, didn't get rained on on my morning walk this morning, so it is something to rejoice in. Lovely to see you all. We are continuing in our uh, six part ECP Identity and Commitment series. Sermon one, just to give you a recap, and if you're new here today, just to catch you up, we spoke in Sermon one about what we'd like to be, and we'd like to be a community of grace. We'd like to be God's community. Governed by, powered by, energized, and directed by grace. That's what we'd love to be here. What flows from that idea are four commitments which we'd like to commit ourselves right up front. Commitment number one, which is what I spoke about last week, was a commitment to taking this message of grace externally to the people outside of this room effectively. Commitment two, which is what we're looking at today, is living this grace out within the family. Within the family. That's the internal Commitment number three is to take grace in practical forms to marginalize vulnerable and poor people of the city. That's commitment number three. And commitment number four is a commitment to us all doing the things which God has given us grace to do. In colloquial terms, flourishing in our personal spaces. Okay, so those are our four commitments. Today we are looking at our commitment to living out grace within the family here. Uh, to begin, I just want to explain this is an idea. The church is both a means to an end and an end in itself. The church is both a means to an end and an end in itself. To put it slightly differently, God is going to use the church as an instrument. It's going to be a means to an end. He's going to use the church as an instrument to love the people of the city or spread the message of the gospel. It's a means to an end. But I don't want that to get lost with this idea that the church itself is an end in itself. Just being the church is a goal we can aim at. Just being the beautiful church is success enough. Whether we impact anyone outside here or not, just being the beautiful church is an end we should aim for. Let me explain it like this. There's a road in Singapore which has a big house, and outside this house is a man who has five red Ferraris parked, In the driveway. Now, if I was that man, and I had one red Ferrari, I would use the Ferrari as a means to an end. I would take my Ferrari to go and do some shopping with it. Okay, Means to an end. But if I never used that Ferrari, and I just parked it in the driveway, and I just looked at its beauty, and how perfectly it's made, and the color, and all these kind of things, that would be good enough for me. That Ferrari would be an end in and of itself. Okay, so something can be used, the means to an end, and something can be an end just in itself. We are aiming at being a beautiful church of Jesus. But here's the problem: chief sinner is me, Andrew Purchase. I sin, you sin, we all sin. And in sinning in a church, we are going to hurt each other, we're going to cause pain. Where there's sin, there's pain, and there's agony. And so it's one thing to have this great ideal about being this beautiful church. Reality on the ground is often it's full of pain and full of hurt. So I want to tell you a story of how I have hurt someone in a church. This happened, I have many stories. I'm going to choose one today. This happened many years ago. Uh, Someone, not even in this country, someone gave me criticism. Now, it's true of almost every time we get criticism. Some of it's correct. Some of it is incorrect. Now, you can focus on what's correct and ignore what's incorrect, or you can focus on what's incorrect and ignore what's correct. Guess what I did? I focused on all the ways this friend, former friend, was wrong in the criticism, and I thought that the best form of defense was attack. So I attacked this friend, former friend, destroyed the relationship, the person ended up In pain, in hurt, in confusion, all because I got a sharp knife and ran it down the red Ferrari and then slashed the tires and then kicked the door. That's the picture. You can do that in church. Here's Jesus' beautiful Ferrari. And flowing from what James was reading for us earlier, We are so much more beautiful than a red Ferrari. That is so low down on the scale. This is Jesus' beautiful bride, but you can hurt and injure the beautiful bride. The framework that the Bible wants us to operate on is grace. Is grace. The power of grace, to put it in loose medical terms, is both prevention and cure. If you flood yourself with grace, you'll be less likely to sin and hurt others. If you flood yourself with grace, but you somehow do succeed in hurting or injuring others through your sin, you can bring grace as a cure, as a healing. Grace operates not only as a prevention, but also as a cure. We need to be grounded in the reality of grace if we're going to live as a community. And we need to not be naive about sin and the pain that it can cause. The more we stand on grace, the more we're going to have this ability to build the community that God wants us to be. So the big idea today is that to live in community God's way, to live in community God's way, is to do community by standing on Christ's grace. To live in community God's way is to do community by standing on Christ's grace. I want to give you uh, my three points up front, what I want to talk about today, flowing out of this passage in 1 Peter Point number one is this, is that grace purifies the heart, leading to pure love. Grace purifies the heart, leading to pure love. Point number two, beware five heart impurities. James has chosen five for us this morning. Beware of them. Five, these five heart impurities. And then point number three is that to live in community requires us to be on the cornerstone. Live in community on the cornerstone. Okay, so let's plunge into point one. Grace purifies the heart, leading to pure love. Well, Peter wants to tell us that purified souls, Christians, are those who have purified souls through obedience to the truth. This is what he says in verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. A Christian is someone who's had their soul purified by response or obedience to the truth. Peter also wants to tell you that you coming to this faith, having your soul purified, it's like you're a little baby. Innocent and pure. That's the picture we have of little babies. In verse 23 he says... You have been born again. You've been made new. You've had your soul purified. You've got a new soul, and you are born again. You're a new person. You're the small little baby which has been born into the world. You've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. So first things first, becoming a Christian means you have your soul purified. Now, what are you going to do with this new purified soul? Well, says Peter... Second thing second. First things first, purified soul. Second thing second, you need to use your purified soul to love with a pure heart. So let me reread verse 22 for us, which says exactly this. Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth, first things first, for a sincere brotherly love. And he has the command. If there's only one thing you hear today, uh, okay. One of two things. This is the first one. Listen to this. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. A purified soul leads to loving someone else earnestly with a pure heart. A pure soul must love with a pure heart. First things first, new purified soul. Second thing, second, use your this new purified soul and pure heart to love one another In the church. Third things third. You're going to run out of gas. So Peter says, what I want you to do, you've had a purified soul. I want you to love with a pure heart. I want you to drink power to help you love people. Because loving people earnestly with a pure heart is difficult. And so Peter's counsel to us in verse 2 goes like this. Pure souls need power. Pure milk. Verse 2 of chapter 2. Like newborn infants, remember we're born again, we've got a purified soul, now we need to love each other with a pure heart. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Long for the pure spiritual milk. This is how we grow up. This is how we keep our hearts pure. Now that our souls are purified, to keep our hearts pure, we need to keep drinking in the pure spiritual milk. And you might ask me, well, what is this pure spiritual milk? I think some of the answer is in verse 3. Indeed, you have tasted that the Lord is good. I don't know if you guys remember how I defined grace in the first sermon. Grace is God's favor to me, amounting to goodness in Christ. Grace has got goodness to us. When you've tasted that the Lord is good, when you've drunk that, when it's purified your heart, purified your soul, what flows should be a pure love. But you need to keep drinking this pure grace says Jesus. You've got it. You changed. You're newborn. But now you're starting your way out in, in, in the Christian world. Keep drinking pure spiritual milk. Just keep drinking grace over and over and over and over and over and over again. That's what I want you to do. That way, we're going to keep empowering ourselves to be loving others sincerely, earnestly, from a pure heart. So the big point here is this. To perpetually love each other, we must perpetually drink the pure spiritual milk of grace. Each day, remind yourself, drink the pure spiritual milk that Christ loves you, that he delights in you, that he saved you, that you are born again, that you belong to him, that he dotes on you, that he adores you, despite all your sin and your darkness and your nonsense. And so to help us, I have bought some milk. Now, uh, I shall endeavor to drink this. And uh, just to keep you all uh, on your toes, I've also bought a bottle of bleach. Now, which one would you like to drink? (laughs) I shall uh, drink pure spiritual milk. I'm gulping on purpose so you can hear it. Excellent. Now, what I shall do, dispense with the microphone. (laughs) It wasn't the communion wine this time. (laughs) Okay, pure spiritual milk, and then stuff you shouldn't drink. Okay, point number two. Beware, beware the five heart impurities. Beware the five heart impurities. Okay, in verse one of chapter two, Peter says this, put away, and he's going to list down five. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Can we think of those as... Uh, impurities. Can we think of those as pure bleach to drink? What are you going to drink? Pure spiritual milk or bleach? Don't drink the five spiritual impurities of, can you list them? Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Don't drink those. Uh, The context in this Christian community is they're obviously having a trouble with these five things. Look, other churches and other Christian communities have trouble with theft, with sexual impropriety, with anger. You know, there's a a whole laundry list of sins out there. For for whatever reason, in this context, for these people, Peter's focusing on these five. So what I thought I'd do is uh, tell you, I've got lots of stories about how I do all these things. I'm guilty of all five, I just want to say. I'm just going to tell you about me and how I understand these things. They might be different for you, but this is me when I do these things, sadly. This is what's going on inside me. Okay, malice. What is malice? Malice is hatred and spite. It's like poison that's mixed into tea and stirred and then given the cup to someone with a smile. That's malice. What is deceit? Well, it's lying, obviously. What's so bad about deceit? Well, deceit alters reality. You call things that are, that are not, and call things that are not as if they are. You, you fundamentally change the fabric and the character of the world around you. You can't put your foot anywhere because you don't know what to trust. That's what deceit does. It turns yes into no, no into yes, right into wrong, and wrong into right. And it destroys everything around you. You don't know what to trust. What about hypocrisy? Hypocrisy is interesting. It's half truth, half lie. Half truth, half lie. We tell the truth about what's right and wrong. Well, well, you shouldn't do this. That's right and that's wrong. You tell the truth about it, but then you half lie because you say, oh, and P.S., I don't do that when you do. So hypocrisy is half lie, half truth. You can see how that is, it's a a more pure form of deceit, can we say, that can really mess with people around you. What about envy? Well, envy is another half-half. Envy, half of you absolutely loves the good things that someone else has got. And the other half of you absolutely despises those good things that someone else has got for the mere fact that you don't have them and they do. That's envy. It splits you down the middle. Hypocrisy will split you down the middle. Deceit will split you down the middle. Envy, too. What about slander? Well, slander maybe has all four rolled into one. Slander is definitely malicious. It's definitely deceitful because a slander is a deliberate telling of a falsehood about someone else. Hypocrisy is part of slander because I don't do that, but look at that, guy does do that and therefore there's also envy rolled into slander because we become envious of other people's moral standing or righteous standing and then we want to take them down. That's what slander is. So at least this is my experience of these uh, terrible five. Now, if you have these five impurities, you are like, and I hope this is, I'm going to use a provocative illustration, you're like the school shooter. In a safe environment, you are given weapons to make that whole environment unsafe. That's what these five things do to a church community. What should be safe becomes dangerous because in your hand are weapons of destruction. These five things will kill the body. Imagine drinking pure bleach. What will that do to the body? It's just water. Calm down. But I wanted to provoke you. Imagine pouring bleach into your six-month baby. That's what these five things do. By the way, when I did that to Jess yesterday, she scolded me. She said, stop drinking bleach. You're going to get it on the carpet. (laughs) She's not uncaring. She just knows I'm a joker, okay? That's what that is about. But you will kill the body if you drink pure spiritual venom. So put them away, says Peter. What causes these impurities? Well, let me tell you again about myself. I think the root is an inability to love myself. Why does these five junk come out? Why do I drink this pure spiritual venom? Well, It's an inability to love myself. Where does the inability to love myself come from? Well, it comes because I don't feel I'm good enough. Where does the feeling that I don't feel good enough come from? Well, it comes from the feeling that there's something, and this is my word, rejectable about me. If you knew what was in me, you would reject me. I've got rejectable things inside me. I'm not good enough because I have these rejectable things. I can't love myself because I know who I am and my junk and my sin inside me. And therefore, I don't know what to do with that. It's going to come out in terrible ways. Therefore, I'm going to drink the pure spiritual venom. You put all of that together, in one word, you get shame. You get shame. Let me talk about myself. Malice. Why do I do malicious things? Well, when I think about it, it's this. There's something about me that I hate. There's something rejectable about me. And so it's easier to hate someone else to avoid myself. What about deceit? Well, I see sin inside me. I've done something wrong. I've done, I know it. I can see it. If you saw it, you'd reject me. I've got something rejectable about me. So I'm going to lie to cover it up so that you don't see it, so you don't reject me. What about hypocrisy? Well, with deceit, I see the sin. With hypocrisy, I don't want to see the sin. And so to make me feel better about myself, I project that I'm actually very righteous and virtuous. And look, I really hold to these standards. But meantime, back at home, there's rejectable things in my own life. What about envy? Well, I'm not good enough. I've got a deficit somewhere. I'm not rich enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good-looking enough. I don't have the socioeconomic status. There's something wrong with me. Other people have got stuff I don't have. There's a deficit in me. Therefore, I'm rejectable. Therefore, I'm going to envy and despise the good things that others have. What about slander? I'm not righteous enough. There's something rejectable about me. So I've got to take other people down around me so that I can feel better about myself. Drinking shame is drinking pure spiritual venom. And that was what was going on in my first story about that interaction with my former friend. There was something wrong with me. That friend pointed something out in me, which I knew was true, which I didn't like. But to get away from that thing, I had to counter-strike. And I had to be malicious to him. And I had to twist things in a way which would make him look bad. And somehow, all those five things were working together. But it was like drinking bleach. certainly wasn't drinking the grace of Jesus. Okay, so what is the solution to all of this? This is point number three. We need to drink pure spiritual milk. Don't drink pure spiritual venom. Point number three is live in community on the cornerstone. Live in community on the cornerstone. You've got a choice between drinking pure spiritual milk of grace or this other noxious pure spiritual venom. And so to help us, to help us put away these kind of sins, Peter says to us in verse 4, as you come to him, come to him. You've already had your soul purified. You're already born again. You're already in the kingdom. Now I'm asking you to keep coming to Christ. Keep coming. Don't stop. Every day, come to Him. Remind yourself who you are. Every day, drink this pure spiritual milk of His grace and of His love and of His kindness to you. Drink it, drink it, drink it. Come to Him. It's an invitation from God. Doesn't matter what you've done, what you did yesterday, what you did last night on Saturday. You can come to Him as you come to Him. It's permissive, it's an instruction, it's a beckoning, it's a summoning. Come to Him, come to Him, says Peter. Keep coming. The way is made open. It doesn't matter if you've been malicious or deceitful or hypocritical or envious or slanderous in a very destructive way. Keep coming to him. Keep coming to him. That's how Peter begins. As you come to him. And who is him? Well, he is a stone rejected by men. He is a stone rejected by men. You see, all of the stuff that is rejectable about you, that you have done, you are doing, and that you will do, has been put on Christ. We sang earlier about the bitter cup that he drank. All the bleach in the world, all the vileness, all the sin, all the poison, all the venom, all the noxious stuff which is in us, got poured into one cup. Christ drank it for us on the cross, and all of our sin got put onto Christ. And God and men rejected Christ on the cross. God rejected all sin of human of humanity in Christ. Christ had to go through this agonizing rejection for all the stuff that is rejectable about you and I. He knows what rejection is. Of course, he was pure. He was holy. He was totally innocent. And yet he had all of that put onto him. If anyone knows what rejection feels like, it's Christ. And he's taken the rejection that should have been yours on himself. But the amazing thing is he didn't stay rejected. To the contrary, having paid the price, having taken the rejection for everyone, God endorsed him. God accepted him because he's not a stone rejected by men. Peter says he is a living stone. He's alive. He rose from the dead. He took death. He took rejection. He took all of your sin. And he was raised to life. He's not a dead, rejected stone. He is a living stone. He is alive. He got raised from the dead. And not only is he a living stone, but in the sight of God, Peter goes on to say, he is chosen and he is precious. He has all the delight, the love of the Father poured onto him. Having paid the price, having gone to the cross, having taken your rejection upon him, He then receives the ultimate affirmation and acceptance, being called chosen and being called precious. The most precious thing in the universe to God is Jesus Christ. And if you are in him, you too become precious and accepted to the uttermost. Let's put it like this. God's rejection of you was rejected. In Jesus Christ, God's rejection of you was rejected. And then Peter goes on in verse 5 to talk about you. As you come to him, who is he? He's a living stone rejected by man, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. Verse 5, you yourselves, like living stones, we become, if you're in Christ, you too become a living stone. You too are resurrected. If you're in him, you become a mini Christ, as it were, because you're in Christ. You're a Christian. You're a Christ follower. You're in Christ. You too, when you come to him, get your spirit resurrected. Your body will be resurrected one day. It's not at the moment. But your spirit got made alive. Remember, we read, you're newborn. You are living. You are alive. Your punishment has been paid. Your rejection has been rejected. It's over. All your sin doesn't count against you. You're a living stone too, like him, if you're in Christ. Deep truth of the faith. And you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Stone upon stone upon stone upon stone. Living stone upon living stone upon living stone. That's the community. That's a community which is full of grace. It's stones which are alive in him. Being built up as a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ and that's what God is doing with us he's made us alive he's building us together he is the builder of the church he is the builder of the church and he's placing us together and we are these resurrected people being built on a resurrected Christ And in him, our rejection is over. We're acceptable to him. That word is used. And now we are offering sacrifices in this new temple that he's building, in this spiritual house. And he's building us up. And in the context, there's so much we can say about what these sacrifices are, but at least they're the opposite of the five venoms. What are we going to offer in this new spiritual house? Instead of malice, we're going to offer kindness. Jesus is kind. Instead of deceit, we're going to speak truly to each other. Instead of hypocrisy, we're going to be honest about what we think is right and where we're not meeting the standard. We're going to be okay with that. We're going to offer those sacrifices to each other, acceptable in Christ. Instead of being envious of how God is blessing other people, we're going to celebrate other people. And go, you know, I've got so much goodness from Christ. I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, verse 3. I've got so much goodness. How he's been good to you doesn't threaten me. I rejoice in you. And instead of slandering, by the way, the devil's name is slander. Diabolos. He's the father of lies. His job is to be the accuser of the brothers. When you slander, you are coming dangerously close to looking like him. Jesus does the opposite. Even though there's the presence of sin, Jesus speaks life and acceptance and righteousness over us, treats us as we don't deserve. That's another sacrifice that we give to him. And then one of the greatest verses in the Bible in verse 6, to sum it all up, he says this, Just to tell you, wrap it all up about what I'm saying, he says in verse 6, for it stands in scripture, behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So much of our sin towards other people in the church is driven by our own shame but feeling like there are these rejectable things in us. Can we build an environment which is safe? Can we stand on Christ and receive the acceptance of Him where where we can be honest about who we are, where we're at, what's our junk, what's our sin in an appropriate way? You see, this is anti-shame. Standing on Christ, standing on the cornerstone, you're chosen, you're precious. You're accepted. You're forgiven. You're clean. You you can drink the pure spiritual milk of grace over and over and over again. You can be dealt with by God with all favor, with all kindness. You can be regarded as the most precious thing in the universe. That's biblical truth because you're in Christ. And Christ is precious to God. And from the cornerstone, you can live out a life in community. So here's the conclusion. There's a big difference between a grace community and a community. There's a big difference, a cosmic difference, between a grace community and a community. If you take grace out of a community, you're going to have a lot of mess, a lot of poison, a lot of venom. There's a big difference between a community built on grace between people who want to root and stand themselves on the cornerstone and those who don't. And then I believe this to be true. Community is at its best when everyone stands on Christ's grace. We are going to be at our best when each of us undertake to stand on the cornerstone and deal with each other from the cornerstone to. Okay, some quick action steps from here. What action steps can I take from here? Step number one, get yourself onto the cornerstone. Get yourself onto the cornerstone. If you are here and uh, you may not yet be on the cornerstone, maybe you're looking into Christianity and trying to figure it all out, well, let me offer to you on behalf of Jesus Christ the invitation to stand on his cornerstone, to have your sins paid for, And to receive his resurrected life. That is is his offer to you today. For those of us who have already received this offer. Continue to come to him and stand each day, each hour, each minute on that cornerstone of grace. Step number two. If you have hurt someone. Because you have not been standing on the cornerstone and you have conducted a relationship. Like the story I was telling you earlier. And you have hurt someone. Then on the cornerstone, you need to ask for forgiveness from God first. And if you ask for forgiveness on the cornerstone, you're guaranteed to receive it. That's the wonder. There's nothing God can't forgive you of. And then as appropriate, you might need to rectify with the other person. Step number three. To the converse. Perhaps someone has hurt you. Perhaps you are hurt by someone's actions against you. Perhaps someone else was not standing on the cornerstone and acting with recklessness towards you. Well, stand on the cornerstone and know that you are precious there. And being precious in God's sight there, what will flow is healing. And what will flow in due course is an ability to forgive. Because on the cornerstone, you too are forgiven. Entirely consistent with your own forgiveness is your ability to forgive someone who's hurt you. And then step number four, and this is what I want us to all commit to today. Can we resolve to live each and every ECP encounter on the cornerstone? Every conversation, every coffee, every CG, every church service, every disagreement, every hurt, every pain, every discomfort. Can we resolve, each and every one of us, to locate ourselves on that cornerstone, and then to deal with each other as appropriate. Amen. Shall we pray?
0: You've been listening to a sermon podcast from Redemption Hill Church. You can find more of our sermons online at www.rhc.org.sg.